There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. So thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. Joe Biden don't know bleep about guns. We'll talk that. The Mises Caucus takes over the Libertarian Party. We'll talk about that. And um, I'm kind of done. In fact, I am totally done with the um, anti-gun nuts hypocrisy when it comes to gun control and safety. I've had enough. We'll talk about that. I'm Andrew Coppins. This is Critical Thinking. Please thank you so much for joining me and please spread the word of this show to other individuals. One person this week, tell them about the show. Just one person. Tell them about the show. Make sure that you're subscribed or you get them subscribed, either via the podcasting platform of their choice or the Rumble page, which is rumble.com backslash critical thinking. You can follow me on social media. I'm at The Coppins Show. And if you're watching, it's literally right above you. Um, you. You can't miss it. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Getter. You know the drill by now. Thank you so much for joining me. This might be the final week in which I am flying solo for a little while here. Um, Pat probably will be back next week after uh, getting the house in order, doing some traveling, all of that wonderful goodness. But um, let's just jump right in because if if you want to have a conversation, and I said this last week, if you want to have a conversation about the Second Amendment, let's have that conversation, right? Michael Ian Black the, the comedian, the actor, has come out and said, I want to abolish the Second Amendment. Great, grand, wonderful. Let's have that conversation. But let's also have an informed conversation about guns and their power and their uh, abilities, right? Let, let's have that conversation. Problem is that most people in the anti-gun, the gun control movement, don't know shit about guns. 
And that includes our president of the United States of America, who said this about guns. And they showed me a, 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 a x-ray. He said a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung, and we can probably get it out, maybe able to get it and save the life. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is of, there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just I remember the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. What the hell? A 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung and we can probably get it out, maybe, and save a life. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body? What the hell is the President of the United States of America talking about there? What in the actual hell is he saying? That literally makes no sense. It literally is not true in any way, shape, or form. But we're supposed to believe that this man is going to lead us forward on some great, grand, wonderful journey of discovery of how we can save the Second Amendment but protect everybody from every madman and madwoman out there in the planet. This guy can't even get the basics of what a caliber of a bullet will or won't do to a human body. We are expecting the man who is the most senile, mentally deficient president we have ever had. We expect that man to lead us in a conversation about the Second Amendment or about gun ownership or what a gun can or can't do. This is also the same guy who, again, used the cannon uh, situation, talked about the cannon for like the 15th uh, gajillion time this weekend, proven to be factually incorrect by none other than the Washington freaking Post last year in 2021. Gave him four Pinocchios, which we talked about on the show last week. We expect that we're supposed to follow his lead this man is dangerous for America. Not because of what he believes, necessarily, although I could make that argument in and of itself, but simply because he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He doesn't even know the basics of guns, bullets, and their ability to inflict damage on the human body. He is lying to you. And look, I am not some gun aficionado, right? I, I don't know every in and out of the, the gun world. What I do know is that when you are talking to the experts, they recommend that the 9mm is your entry into gun ownership because it's easiest to handle, but it also does the least amount of damage. Most will recommend a 45 
or a 357 caliber bullet. So they would recommend that you own a 45. That is the recommendation of most personal safety experts because the 45 caliber will do actual damage and will inflict real damage on the person attempting to hurt you, harm you, murder you, whatever's going down. The 9mm doesn't do what Joe Biden just talked about. This man is insane, and he is going to cause real damage to this country. Real damage. But we're expected to believe that this person is going to help us solve the problem? He doesn't even know what the hell the problem really is. And on critical thinking, what do Pat and I tell you? If we don't know the answer to a question or a topic or whatever, we might give you what we think we know about it, but we're open and honest with you. Hey, I don't know enough about this topic, and so we're not going to talk on it. Or, hey, do your own research. And we always advocate that no matter what, even if we know a ton about the subject, if we've been able to dig deep and dive deep into the subject, trust and verify. Always. But on this type of a conversation, we're expected to have this man lead us into some grand utopia as if we've never thought of the way forward before. This is the individual that we're expected to believe is going to lead us. That's almost as insane as this individual is. A nine millimeter, nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. No, it doesn't. No, not at all. But people who, by and large, don't understand guns or don't own a gun or are anti-gun will parrot this. We will see this over and over and over again from the gun control crowd. None of it is true, and it's dangerous to the needed and necessary conversation about the Second Amendment. It's amazing to me how little people actually know about guns, but are willing to just opine on things as if they're an expert. Does it take the ability to shoot a gun to be an expert? No. But do some basic research before you talk on the subject. This is a pattern for Joe Biden, by the way. We, we talked about the cannon. He's talked about owning, well, you just own a double barrel shotgun and shoot it in the air. No, you don't. Right? Just to scare away the, the intruder, the, the would-be murderer. Just, just fire off around into the air. That is one of the most dangerous things that you could possibly do. Because what happens when you fire a bullet into the air? It has to land somewhere. And generally speaking, what is going up is coming down on the same trajectory. And that ain't good for anything or anybody in the area. A double barrel shotgun. Shoot it in the air and I'll scare them away. Bah! 
This man has been insanely wrong on guns his entire career. If there are two things you should never do with Joe Biden, it's listen to him on foreign policy because he's wrong all the time and listen to him on guns. For instance, he talks about the assault weapons ban, right? 1994. Okay, there was an average of nine shootings with quote-unquote assault weapons during the assault weapons ban. There have been nine of them after the lifting of the assault weapons ban. You didn't make a difference at all. More importantly, define an assault weapon. You can't because it technically doesn't exist. And we can talk about mental health. We can talk about all of these other things from the rights perspective here and how can you really deal with it? And that's where I want to go next here because what we've heard from the gun control crowd is that we we must we must enhance red flag laws and, and we've got to do something about the mentally insane right and their ability to own weapons and then we have to we have to raise the age of gun ownership back up to 21 because an 18 year old can't possibly own a weapon except for that very same 18 year old individual is going off to a foreign land with submachine guns machine guns gun turrets right firing off machine guns in battle, but we can't trust them to own a gun when they come home. Fire that weapon in war, go and fight and die in war. You know, Memorial Day being yesterday. But hey, don't own a handgun, let alone a shotgun or, you know, a sporting rifle when you come home. Oh, no, 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 no. You cannot be trusted. You are mentally unstable and unable to do that. But, but that very same crowd is, no, 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 no. We don't want to raise the age of conscription to 21. You can't be 20. You, you can serve at 18 in the military. That's insane. That's literally insane. We're going to trust you to be able to, to handle that weaponry in service to the nation. But no, 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 you can't privately own that gun. No, no. This is the hypocrisy and the disingenuousness of the argument from the gun control crowd. At play. And, and we want to talk about the, the hypocrisy. Before we do that, I want to lay down this marker because here's the other hypocrisy or, or well, I, I don't know if it's hypocrisy. I think it's a lack of understanding of the law. And Thomas Massey, along with uh, Nikki Goser, wrote in Real Clear Politics uh, an article just simply titled Red Flag Laws and Unintended Consequences. Now, we all know that the murder that happened at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, was horrific. It was gruesome. It was brutal. The details that keep continuing to come out 
about the fact, and in I think I tweeted this out over the weekend, so go check it out again at the Coppins Show. But the utter failing of the preparation versus actual performance when it comes to what took place with the uh, police response in Uvalde, Texas, is just so mind-blowingly stupid. They literally had a school shooter drill two months prior to this. We literally have a manual, a guide for action and inaction. What is supposed to be done in various scenarios, an active shooter scenario versus a barricaded scenario, and the handbook says that the person or people that arrive on the scene, the very first thing is to confront the shooter to stop the shooting. Literally, it is the manual you are supposed to be using in response to these things. The utter failure to do that, to watch this slaughter continue to just stand by is mind-blowingly stupid in every single person in command because this is a command issue. Every single person in command should be held criminally liable for their negligence and their inability to follow the guidelines that were set out. This is a case where qualified immunity doesn't exist. Why? Because they were negligent in not following procedure. They are negligent in not following all of these things. But beyond that, we have the gun control anti-gun left talking about how we need to strengthen red flag laws. We need red flag laws. Well, what are red flag laws intended to do? It is very simply this. If somebody believes that you are a danger to the community or yourself, they write to the judge or they write to the, the DA's office. And then without a hearing, without any notice, without anything to defend yourself, they come and take away your gun. And then you have to defend yourself and prove, do you see the problem here with a red flag law? You're presumed guilty before you prove your innocence. The intent of the law is to do what? Potentially stop those who could act in criminal natures or suicide themselves from doing so. It, it, except um, what happens to the person who, um, because a concerned neighbor or friend or family member um, decides that, well, there was a tragedy in your household. For instance, Nikki Gosser, who writes this article, watched her husband be murdered by the stalker who was stalking her. Under a red flag law, a concerned family member could have removed the guns from the house because of, oh my God, she might be mentally unstable right now, or she might uh, feel sorrow and, and grief, and, and oh my God, she might be suicidal. 
wait a minute, prove that, right? So they could have taken away the gun, which would have been the protection from the stalker who still wasn't caught. Eventually was caught and convicted for that murder. But the red flag laws, or extreme risk protection orders, the RPOs, they allow a judge to seize a person's gun without a trial, just based solely on that written complaint that they might be a danger to themselves or the community, right? All the judge needs in that case is a reasonable suspicion. What? What's reasonable suspicion? That's not a thing in actual law. Now, they point out that these laws don't need to exist. Why? Because it's already possible to take a dangerous person's guns away. All 50 states in the United States of America and the federal government have involuntary commitment laws. They they go by various names depending on where you live, right? The Baker Act in Florida or the 5150 Code, which is super famous And that's California. What do they require? They require a mental health expert to testify before a judge. But the hearings can occur quickly in urgent cases. As Massey and Gosser point out, if those facing a hearing cannot afford a lawyer, the judge provides them with one. Judges do have a lot of flexibility when they rule in these cases. For instance, if the person on trial does not agree to a voluntary psychiatric treatment, they could be committed involuntarily and or have their guns confiscated. But red flag laws, as they note, remove all of those due process protections based only on, again, a written complaint, which could come from a relative, a friend, a neighbor, a police officer. A judge just decides whether to take away a person's guns. There's no ability to challenge the claims, as I've mentioned or to offer testimony from a mental health care expert in defense of yourself. Gun control advocates argue that the person should not even know that the judge may be deciding to take his or her guns. When a hearing finally takes place up to a month later, if the person in question cannot afford an attorney, they will not be provided with one. That's right, you heard me correctly. Your Fourth Amendment rights, your Fifth Amendment rights, don't exist in red flag laws. Now, when faced with the costs for a hearing, which could be upwards of $10,000, as Massey and Gosser point out, very few people find that fighting the red flag laws to keep their guns makes any sense. Very few defendants obtain legal representation, but the courts still overturn one third That's right, a third of all initial orders. Well, but we're erring on the side of safety. Whose safety is my question? Does the person who owns the gun have a right to their own safety and protection? Uh, Hell yes, they do. So for one third of all of the uh, RPOs that come out, or the red flag laws, or whatever you want to call them, those people lose their right to safety at the For the safety of whom? Nobody, it turns out, because they're actually not, what? A danger to themselves or anybody else. 
Now, as they point out, the actual error rate is undoubtedly much higher because many of those wrongfully prosecuted, again, don't have a lawyer. The answer here is simple. Use the tools at your discretion already, they, at your disposal. We have the tools to fix this situation. We as a society just refuse to use them because it's inconvenient to have to have due process. Inconvenient to whom? For what? Inconvenient for whom to do what? And as Massey and Gosser point out in this article, taking away their guns if they're intent on mass violence, if they're intent on being a violent individual because maybe they're paranoid schizophrenic and they their medication's off, off the hook or whatever else, if you take away the gun, you're just taking away the tool. You're not dealing with the actual root of the problem. And where did we see this? Waukesha, Wisconsin. They used a car, or in that case an SUV, to mow down people, to just commit mass murder. We see people do it with bombs. We've seen it with people doing it with knives. Making a new law because we can't enforce or don't enforce or don't use the current law on the books makes no sense. Now, I agree. If we don't enforce the law that is on the books, it shouldn't be on the books. But the answer isn't to, to make a new law that makes it harder to enforce the original law that's already on the books. You're duplicating it, but you are turning the Constitution of the United States of America on its head. For what? For what? To make yourself feel better about yourself. To give you a false sense of security that doesn't exist because evil people will do evil when they have that intent in their heart they will find a tool to commit that evil act one way or another and you don't want to deal with that harsh reality but while these people are screaming about red flag laws and taking away your rights with an unconstitutional process or lack of process, just, just at the same time that they're doing that, these are also the very same people who are advocating for less bail and for electronic monitoring of people who are committing gun violence in the community. We're seeing it here in Chicago in droves. People who are just continuously, time after time, violating the quote-unquote terms of their probation, doing so by committing violent acts. I'm going to read you just one that happened over the weekend here. And this is a headline from uh, CWB Chicago, which is Crime Watch Blog Chicago. The 21st person to commit a gun offense while on monitoring, on bail for, wait for it, 
just wait for it, an act of violence. Five months after escaping from electronic monitoring, he needed he helped shoot up a carload of people, injuring two. This is from May 29th. Luis Molina Jr., a twice-convicted gun offender, escaped from electronic monitoring last September and has remained on the loose until mid-April, according to prosecutors and court records. Five days after, or excuse me, five days before authorities caught up with him, Molina and, and four-time felon Hector Rivera allegedly opened fire on a carload of people outside of a liquor store. Two people were shot. Molina is the 21st person accused of killing or shooting or trying to shoot or kill somebody in Chicago this year alone while awaiting trial for a felony. The alleged crimes involved at least 49 victims, 11 of whom died. Riviera, Molina's alleged accomplice, was also awaiting trial for a felony gun case. His third felony gun case. He is the 15th person charged with killing or shooting or trying to shoot or kill somebody in Chicago while awaiting trial for a felony. Molina's court files show Judge Charles Burns sentenced him to 27 months for possessing a stolen firearm in 2017. Okay, that's great. But when cops caught him with his second gun in May of 2020, prosecutors only charged him with a misdemeanor. He pled guilty in December of that year, so December of 2020, and Judge Robert Cousas sentenced him to one day in jail. The sentence was offset by the day that he spent in custody upon being arrested. One day. One day. Just five months later, on May 23rd of 2021, a Chicago police officer watching surveillance camera feeds saw a man holding a gun in the middle of 18th Place, a street that, based on the face tattoos, would be important to Molina. Patrol officers went to the scene and saw Molina walk to the back of a truck and place something inside. That turned out to be a gun. They arrested him. Judge Charles Beach set bail conditions that allowed Molina to go home on electronic monitoring by paying a $1,000 bail deposit. Four months later, Molina stopped showing up for court. A judge issued an arrest warrant and prosecutors filed charges for escaping electronic monitoring. He remained on the loose until April of 2022. Four days before authorities caught Molina, five friends arrived at a liquor store on the 2300 block of West 21st Street. While one friend stepped out of the car to go into the store, two gunmen began shooting him and the four who remained inside the vehicle. The car's driver sped away from the gunfire, headed to a hospital because two passengers realized that the gunmen had shot them. Detective, detectives identified Molina and Riviera from crystal clear surveillance video that showed them both holding guns inside the liquor store and then shooting the guns outside of the business. Assistant State's Attorney Lucas um, Calatasis said, Anyway, 
Police announced the charges against Molina this week, but court records show a grand jury indicted him on May 11th on 15 counts of attempted murder, two counts of aggravated battery by discharging a firearm, and three counts of aggravated discharge of a firearm into an occupied vehicle. He is now being held without bail. I give you this because this is the hypocrisy of the, oh, oh my God, the anti-gun crowd. Yet at the same time, they don't want to take people who commit violent gun crimes seriously at all in the criminal court system because um, racism or bah, um, 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 economic justice. So these people can't afford the bail and, and, and they're no. Here's where we can agree, I think, very commonly. You commit a felony with a gun. Your gun rights are taken away. You go to jail, and if you are caught with a gun again, you never see the light of day again. It is that simple. We're going to give you one time. You get one strike in that case. The second time, you do not get to be part of society because you cannot be trusted to not be violent with a gun, and you cannot be trusted to become a law-abiding citizen anymore. You lose your rights to gun ownership if you commit a felony with a firearm. But I am done hearing about gun control from the very same group that creates the, the laws and the, the prosecution advocacy groups that want these very same criminals out back on the street, back out on the streets, and then allow them to commit more violence in our communities. You've created the conditions in which these scenarios play out on the streets of Chicago 21 times already this year, and we're just at the end of May. You advocate for these lowering of bonds. You advocate for all of this stuff at the same time while telling me as a law-abiding citizen, I have to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop to possibly potentially own a gun. And then, oh, by the way, if there's a mental health issue, um, I take my guns away. You're not even serious about the criminals who own guns. So how about we start there? How about we start getting serious with the people who are violating the very nature of gun ownership. Let's get serious about those who don't care about the law first. How about we start to clean that up? How about we start there? Oh, there, the, the handguns are coming from all over the place. Right, by people who are committing crimes. Let's stop those criminals. Let's make sure that the people who are giving guns in Indiana are trained on how to identify straw purchasers. How about we start punishing those people very seriously? How about we start actually enforcing the laws on the books? Oh, but those people... 
It's all the the black and brown people who are disproportionately affected. Yeah, guess what? They're also disproportionately affected by gun violence in this country, committed every single day in the streets of Chicago, the streets of New York, the streets of L.A., San Francisco. Pick, Pick a spot, Baltimore, St. Louis. But you're not serious enough to take on the people committing those crimes anymore. Yet I'm supposed to take you seriously. I'm supposed to take you seriously. Done. Done, done, done with your hypocritical bullcrap. Speaking of hypocritical bullcrap, um, the New York Times tweeted this this weekend. Children's learning loss in the pandemic isn't just in reading and math. It's also in social and emotional skills. In a New York Times survey of 362 school counselors across the U.S., they said students are behind in abilities to learn, cope, and relate. Gaslighting 101, because what was the New York Times advocating for from 2020 through 2021 through basically January or February of this year? School closures. Who did they back up? The American Federation of Teachers, the... uh, the NEA, right? They, they back up the teachers' unions and, oh my God, we, we have to close the schools because of our health, except for all of the stuff that we've known since June of 2020 shows that students across the globe were not an issue when it came to um, COVID-19. It wasn't an issue for them. It wasn't an issue for the adults. It wasn't an issue for anybody, really. When it came down to their interactions in a classroom setting. Mask or no mask. Oh, and by the way, Philadelphia and a couple of districts within uh, the surrounding areas of Philadelphia are now making their kids mask up again. I cannot emphasize this enough. These people did this to your kids. And you are going to continue to let them do this to your kids over and over and over again? Time to fund your students, care about your child more than the convenience of your work day. It's time to care about getting them an education. But according to the New York Times piece, um, four key takeaways from this piece as I read it. Number one, kids have the highest level of anxiety I've ever seen. Anxiety about basic safety and fear of what could happen. No shit, Sherlock. No shit. But the New York Times in uh, May of 2022 is just figuring that out. We've known this forever. They continue to tell us. So much self-harm and suicide ideation. Again, we've known this since June of 2020. We have seen the pattern of suicidality and the ideation of suicide within the younger and younger crowds. You know, I think the suicide rate uh, and the suicide attempt rate has gone up some 500%. I think it is in the 12 to 14 year old category. We've seen 
the the rise of alcohol abuse in as young as ten year old kids, um, the the drug use as young as eight years old now. And people like the New York Times were advocating for all of the things that created this situation. And now, oh, oh dear, what did we find here? Well, they continued to tell us that, um, well, they prefer screen time with friends as opposed to doing things with friends. That's from Amy Flynn of the Oakland School Technical Campus in Wixom, Michigan. Because you have isolated these kids for almost two straight years, especially in urban districts. At least a year and a half, 18 to 20 to 22 months of isolation, of we have to be on the screen eight hours a day, of you have to be afraid of your friends and, and the people around you. And the New York Times is responsible for part of all of that. They also tweeted this out. Students are less bought into school, less excited about life after high school. Again, the New York Times is just figuring all of this out? These are things I was talking about in June and May of 2020. Two years ago, these were things that were obvious consequences. They were willing to risk the long-term mental health, the long-term emotional health, the long-term physical health, the long-term um, learning health. We're about to see an entire lost generation. An entire generation that will be four to five years behind the learning curve that they should be on. And we decided as a society that those were acceptable consequences of, oh my God, COVID-19 and the children. We ignored all of the data, all of the science, all of the studies that showed us the harm versus the reality of the harm of COVID-19 and decided that we, if we could just save one life, had to do that for the children. We as a society decided that all of the things that we see from this study from New York Times, that was acceptable as a consequence. I find it totally unacceptable. It turns out that the loss of the ability to learn, the loss of their own self-motivation and self-worth, the loss to drug abuse and misuse, to alcohol abuse at younger and younger ages, the loss of their mental and emotional health was not worth the price of COVID-19. It was the price of COVID-19 was far less than what we are seeing from the loss of all of those things from from the kids' perspective. We have done more harm to the children than COVID-19 could have ever have done. We did this. And it's a collective we 
Because even those of us that were advocating for and pointing this out from May of 2020 and beyond, were we active enough? Were we picketing? Were we demanding things enough? Were we attending enough school board meetings? I think we did some of that. But we watched as the rest of society decided that we were the fringe and we were dangerous to society. And we must have been dealt with. Ultimately, even those of us who were pointing this data out didn't do enough. And we as a collective society deserve all of what is coming our way for what we have done to these children. This is an inexcusable moment because we had all of the information in front of us very early on. The rest of the world didn't do what we did in the United States of America or in Canada. We were the outlier. We were. We did this to ourselves and for shame on our society for doing this. Now, before we leave, I want you to leave I want to leave on this note uh, because the Libertarian National Convention was this past weekend and the Mises caucus, uh, the, the so-called, well, it's not so-called Mises Caucus, but it is a caucus within uh, the Libertarian Party, and it has created a ton of division, a ton of infighting, um, but they're more of the um, in-your-face, more um, radical comedian versions. You know, they, they want to maybe put a lighter, brighter um, face on the Libertarian Party, some have accused them of overt or covert racism and some other things. They also are advocating to take away the basically the pro-abortion stance of the Libertarian Party, which is something that I've wrestled with and part of the reason why I'm not a card-carrying member of the Libertarian Party. Um, but the Mises Caucus has taken away from the I would argue the 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 group that gave us really nothing. They gave us some good potentially candidates here and there, but at the end of the day, the Mises Caucus is the ones that's figured out. Let's run um, and put libertarians in place to show on a very local level what libertarian. Uh, control and libertarian movements within actual political mechanisms would look like on a very local level. Let's do that. They're the ones that have done that. But they completed their kind of takeover, if you will. Um, and we have a brand new chair of the Libertarian Party, which is Angela McArdle, winning the first, rounding, first round of ballots with more than 69% of the voting delegates. McArdle's very first tweet after winning, well, they she mocked the Libertarian Party's recent past, quote, tweeting a March 2020 post that mentioned social distancing. She also told the convention Friday that she would not allow the party to humiliate ourselves and alienate everyone when faced with the next COVID-style crisis. And they've been very vocal about that. They've wanting, they've also been wanting to, to, to bring in the pro-life side of things. They've also 
tried to remove some of the language of um uh that is really kind of like whoa 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 um when it comes to the platform of the libertarian party so it'll be very interesting to see what takes place but i wanted to bring that up um uh, because um, the machinations inside the Libertarian Party have been pretty ugly as of late, and it'll be interesting to see where the party goes under McArdle's uh, leadership. So let's keep an eye out for that as libertarian-minded individuals. But on that note, it's time to say goodbye for today. Until tomorrow, please be smart, be safe, be kind, and as always, Matthew 547.